0: The FT. Welcome to FT Analysis. Ever more investors are flocking to Africa's frontier markets, places like South Sudan, Sierra Leone, Ethiopia, and Zimbabwe. But tapping into such growth brings its own hazards, as Katrina Manson, the FT's East Africa correspondent, reports from Nairobi. When shooting erupted throughout Juba, capital of the world's newest country one night late last year, Phil Taylor hit the floor of his room and crawled around for days. We got caught in the crossfire and things got fairly hairy, he says. Bullets were hitting the wall. There were bodies on the street outside. As General Manager of Network Support Services, a telecom tower service provider owned by a UK private equity fund, He has grappled with the impact of South Sudan's civil war on business ever since. Fifteen of the 160 towers he services are too dangerous to reach. The government forbids serving rebel-held areas, and he lost a vehicle to requisitioning. Day one, the rebels came and siphoned our diesel. Day two, they came for the battery. And day three, they came and towed the whole truck with two generators away, he says with a stoic laugh. It's the very definition of force majeure, really. Such is business in a war zone, and an example of the risks that go with investing in volatile frontier markets. Yet ever more investors keen for high returns, social impact and extreme personal challenge are flocking to Africa's frontier markets, from South Sudan to Sierra Leone, Ethiopia to DR Congo. The push into these markets is an outgrowth of two larger investment trends, A global hunt for yield, which has seen investors pump money into the sovereign debt of Greece and other countries that were on the verge of economic collapse only a few years ago. And a broader narrative of African growth. The risks of investing in countries that are often plagued by poor governance, conflict and weak infrastructure are being overlooked by specialist and increasingly mainstream investors. Investors interested in African frontier markets are accessing them through diversified frontier markets funds or using South Africa as a gateway in order to avoid being exposed to a number of small, illiquid markets, says Cameron Brandt at EPFR Global, which tracks flows into Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa still garners a tiny proportion of global investment, but foreign direct investment to the region is rising, up 5% to $56 billion last year. The world's largest sovereign wealth fund last week joined the rush, where Norway's $890 billion fund said it would target more of Africa's markets in a bid to raise returns. African mergers and acquisitions last year totaled $30 billion generated by a 1,000 deals. More than 220 private equity managers now target Africa. The African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, AFCA, says the 53 private equity deals completed last year, for which it has data, were worth $3.2 billion, but still lower than Africa's 2007 peak at $4.7 billion. Some of the world's largest fund managers, in search of bigger returns that come with growing economies, are also making forays into unfamiliar markets via the frontier, rather than more established African economies such as Nigeria, South Africa or Kenya. The Carlisle Group, one of the world's largest private equity firms, this year closed its maiden Africa fund with $698 million, 40% above target. It chose a Tanzanian agribusiness investment for its first deal, followed by a trucking and logistics company in Mozambique. KKR, another big global fund, entered Africa in June with a $200 million stake in an Ethiopian rose farm. Bob Diamond, the former head of Barclays, has raised more than $600 million for deals on the continent since 2013, entering mid-market banking in frontier countries such as Botswana, Rwanda and Zimbabwe. While global funds struggle to find many big-ticket deals worth more than $100 million, most private equity deals in Africa remain small, below $10 million, according to AFCA. While these offer some of the best prospects for returns... It also limits the capacity and appetite of big spenders. Frontier markets may be small, illiquid and poorly developed, but their expansion from a low base regularly surpasses other emerging markets. The International Monetary Fund expects Frontier Africa growth to outpace even Frontier Asia by 2016, at 6% a year, making it the fastest expanding region in the world. Tapping into such growth comes with its own set of hazards. Some investors speak of discovering that financial backers include banned terrorist groups or that they hired security guards who juggle grenades. One Ivory Coast investor refers to my bugger-off bag that sits by his desk in case he has to flee sudden fighting. But the African frontier also offers inefficient markets and unregulated monopolies that promise significant rewards. Top of the list are the largely fail-safe cash-generating quick wins of the BBC, or banking, brewing and cement. If you've done nothing else, investing in banking, breweries and cement should make you returns in frontier markets, says Michael Turner of Actis, a UK private equity fund with $4 billion under management in frontier and emerging markets. But with the rise of consumerism, retail, education and healthcare sectors are growing too, he says. The most hardy are keen to manage companies directly. Mr. Taylor who kayaks the Nile in his spare time, has escaped arrest by young men armed with arrows by proposing a group photo. He's perched on a pallet of frozen chickens at the back of an Antonov aircraft to make unorthodox logistics deliveries and survived regular bandit attacks. His driver's finger was shot off. It's a crazy place, he says. There are almost no rules, so you have to make it up as you go along, and it's quite interesting to have to do that there's no straightforward solution. Despite the risks, this year is likely to prove NSS's best, not least because most of the competition has left South Sudan. Juba's construction and land prices continue to boom, and the currency is largely stable. It is amazing how little the breakdown of government affects the economy. Africa's major story is that vibrant economies are growing despite their governments, says Coco Ferguson founding partner of Maris Capital, which owns NSS. Although not every desk-based investor may wish to negotiate landmines and state disintegration, they do have increasingly easier access to African growth in far-flung frontier markets. Many private equity funds are backed by large development finance institutions, eager to boost small businesses and create jobs, pushing them into ever more remote small markets. Institutional investors from the US and Europe, family offices and a growing number of African investors are also tapping the growth of the emerging middle class through debt and listed equity. Africa has started to get a mature investor base. Before, investors didn't have the luxury of choosing the asset class they wanted, and now they have a choice, says Mohammed Hanif, chief executive at Inspiro Asset Management, which allocates some of its $170 million under management, to debt and equity in Frontier Africa. His firm buys into 40 of Africa's 1,200 stocks quoted on its 23 stock exchanges. He believes 250 companies are sufficiently liquid to merit investment. Some, such as Safaricom, which is among the largest and most liquid of the 63 businesses on Kenya's securities exchange, draw more than half its shareholders from abroad. Bob Collymore, its chief executive, considers that a vote of confidence that helps attract more investment. The cost of buying and selling shares in the least efficient markets is high, above 2.5% of their value in Uganda, Tanzania and Zimbabwe. Larry Speedle at Frontier Market Asset Management, one of the few U.S. boutique firms targeting frontier markets with $250 million under management, prefers Africa's second-tier stocks to the more liquid trades that are already attracting foreign money. I still think that the small caps in the frontier are more interesting than the large liquid names that go up and down on US Fed policy, he says. Thanks in part to loose monetary policy in the West, African countries are likely to issue record volumes of sovereign eurobonds worth in excess of $11 billion this year, including from Mozambique and Zambia. Some, such as Tanzania, are still liberalising government securities to offer them to foreign investors. But local currency bonds can offer as much as twice the return of dollar-denominated ones if investors are prepared to take a punt on inflation. Nigeria's local sovereign bond is easily as liquid as its euro bond. Uganda is less liquid than others, but it's starting to hit people's radars, says Mr Hanif, who has allocations in local currency bonds in Nigeria, Kenya and Uganda. He's also watching the development of derivatives markets in Egypt and elsewhere. The other main draw of the frontier is that their growth prospects are so strong, they are shielded both from global finance trends and even sometimes domestic events. Mr Hanif says Egypt, with a more developed economy, remains only half frontier, half emerging, with foreign outflows broadly following its own bad headlines. But Nigeria's stock market has boomed, despite insecurity and high-level sackings, suggesting investors are so keen to access growth, they are prepared to forgive domestic crises. Smaller, more remote markets offer even less correlation, although it is not yet clear if the returns justify the greater risk, says Tom Cairns. Eight years ago, he started a $23 million private equity fund manager, Manocap, in Sierra Leone a country of only 6 million people that had just emerged from conflict. The fund is yet to exit any of its four investments, which range from fisheries to phones, but company turnover has increased 2.5 times and created 150 jobs. People talk about Africa being risky, but they don't know what it means, says Mr Cairns, adding an employee has lost family members to the Ebola epidemic is constant. The generator breaks down, the national grid isn't on, your ice melts, and you still have to pay salaries. It involves continual crisis management, he says. Wary of costs and the need to generate higher returns, larger investors are focusing on countries with big populations, offering untapped demand. After Kenya, Nigeria, and a few others, the next round of frontier markets are places like Ethiopia, Tanzania, and DR Congo, the ones with the larger populations – Although there's still a lot of difficulties in those markets, they're not easy places to invest, says Rory Ord at Investment Advisors Riscura. All present obstacles. Tanzania, with 50 million people, caps foreign investment in equities and forbids it in government securities. Ethiopia, with 90 million, refuses foreign money in core sectors, including finance and telecoms, which delivered stellar returns into the early 2000s. DR Congo, with 70 million people, lacks contract security. That has not stopped investors readying themselves. More than half a dozen private equity investors have established funds targeting Ethiopia in the past eight years, with companies producing everything from coffee and cement to wine and biscuits. The final frontier is shifting still further. Such is the appeal of the cash-generating potential of the fledgling market, that last year a group of Western investors began preparing a $10 million private equity fund for Somalia, a country racked by an al-Qaeda-linked insurgency yet to recover from 23 years of civil war. They aimed to develop security, logistics and beachside property businesses to serve the country's tentative commercial resurgence. A string of deadly attacks in Mogadishu has put those plans on hold, but Mr Hanif, one of the founders keen on establishing early market entry is not giving up. There will be a time for it, he says. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.